Good morning. So good to see everybody, man. Good looking crowd here today. Good to be in the house of the Lord with you. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Romans 16 once again. And while you do, I've got to own up to a mistake. Last week I told you that this would be the last message in our Roman series. But uh, as I got more into this text, I realized that there's a whole lot more in just this last part than I can fit into, into one sermon. I mean, technically I could cram it all into one, but I don't think I would be doing the text justice if I did that. Um, plus, I've heard that some sermons that I have preached in the past have been described as offering you a drink of water while turning on a fire hydrant. And uh, I don't want to do that. I would hate to end this series on that note. Um, so we're going to kind of break this up. I was, man, I was landing this plane and uh, all the warning lights came on in the cockpit saying you're coming in too steep. So I had to back up and we're going to come in and land this thing a little more gently uh, than coming down all at once. So uh, it's going to be good though. I mean, there is so much good stuff in here and today is... Anyway, I've just been excited to get into this. Let's look at it. Let's all stand together as we start reading the last part, picking up where we left off last week. We're going to start in verse 21. Paul says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason. Hey, hey. And so Sopater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, and Cordus, the brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith, To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, God, it's just so exciting to know what what you have in store for us in the remainder of this letter, God, that has stood the test of time, that is just as relevant to us today as it was over 2,000 years ago when it was first written. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth in here. God, I pray that something in here will cause this, this day, this Sunday, to be a defining moment in someone's life. Someone who thought they were just going to come to church and it was just going to be another Sunday like any other Sunday. But no, God, you surprised them. And God, you changed them forever. Lord, I pray that that would happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Everything that we're going to look at today and next Sunday is um, contained in the last three verses. Verses 21 through 24 is just a list of names that that Paul mentions to the church in Rome of uh, people who send their greetings. It's like when you're talking to someone on the phone and and someone is in the room there with you and they say, tell so-and-so that I said hi. And you say, Bubba says hi. Well, that's, Paul is saying these brothers and sisters in Christ who are here with me, they say hi. And so there's not just a whole lot of deep doctrinal truth in, in those verses there to build a sermon on. But, I mean, I'm sure there probably is. But if, if so, the Lord didn't reveal that to me this time. 
But what we're looking at today is the very last sentence of Romans, and it is a sentence that is so long that it had to be broken up into three verses. Paul was uh, prone to writing long sentences in many of his letters, and this one is, is not the, the longest by any means. How many of you remember learning how to diagram sentences in high school? You know, you've got the subject and, and verb on the line and, and adjectives that come off of that. And, and if there were two subjects, your diagram looked kind of like a rocket ship and you had all these things going off of it. Um, if you were to, to, to diagram this sentence here, that would be interesting. It would probably at least take up a whole page. If there are any English majors in here and you'd like to take that challenge, I would love to see what that looks like. Um, diagram in that sentence because it is, it is pretty complex. But the sentence can be simplified with just the very first and very last parts of it. The short version of the sentence is, Now to him be glory forever. This is the basic point of what Paul is saying. It is another doxology that Paul breaks out into here like the one that we saw at the end of chapter 11. But Paul can't just end this great letter with something that simple. He knows that God deserves more than that. And so between the to him and the be the glory forever, worship spills out. Great, solid doctrinal truth spills out. The subject of this complex sentence is God. He, of course, is the hymn that Paul is saying be, to be glory to. And then Paul says something descriptive about him. And out of all the things that Paul could have said about God, I find it very interesting that he chooses to say this. I mean, he could have said to him who is mighty, to him who is powerful, to him who is holy, or a thousand other adjectives that describe God, but out of all that he could have said, Paul says, to him who is able to establish you. Many translations say to him who is able to strengthen you, which is actually more accurate because the word that Paul used in the Greek was the word sterizo, which means to make firm, to strengthen. And so out of all the descriptive words that Paul could have used about God, he calls him the one who strengthens you. And in a minute, you're going to find out why Paul chose to use those, because it is an incredible thing. You know, if you look at the way that kings and rulers on earth operate or have generally operated throughout human history, they all want to get glory. They all want to be known as strong and wise and rich when the United States was founded, it really was something extremely unique and very revolutionary at the time. Instead of all the power being vested in the king or the ruler at top, they decided that in this government the power was going to be vested in the people. History had never seen anything like this before, not at that level. And so they wrote a constitution and established laws that uh, made the president have to act on behalf of the people, which was unlike anything else because everywhere else, all throughout history, it was the exact opposite. The people had to act on behalf of the king or whoever was at top. But if you take the great American experiment out of the equation, every ruler seeks to get glory for himself or herself. And how have they done that? By keeping their citizens weak, uneducated, and poor. 
An uneducated people is a threat to a dictator. A prosperous middle class is a threat to a dictator. A strong people who are able to resist the strength of the dictator is a threat to a dictator. So what do they do? They secure their power by standing on the backs of broken people. History is filled with examples of rulers who make their people weak and poor so that they could be strong and rich. The more glorious the ruler appears, powerful, strong, and rich, the weaker the people have to be. And so if you're following along in your notes, the first point is this. Rulers get their glory by making their people weak. So keep that in mind as you listen to those who are running for elected office today. The more rights that they want to take away from you and more power that they want to give to themselves should be a huge red flag. Because that's going to make things worse for everyone. Now compare that to the way that Paul describes the way God gets his glory. If any king or ruler ever had the right to display his glory by stepping on the backs of a rebellious people, it was God. God is the only one who would be given a pass for that because we deserve that, because of our sin against him. But what does God do? Next point. God gets glory by making his people strong. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, be glory forever. Unlike an earthly ruler, God feels no threat from your strength at all. In fact, the stronger you are, stronger in faith and hope and confidence in, in Jesus, the greater he appears. God does not secure his strength by making people weak. He magnifies his strength by making us strong. Isn't that so cool? Man, if a candidate for president came out and said that he or she wanted to make the office of president the most powerful that it can be, if they said that they wanted the president of the United States to be to appear more powerful and wise and wealthy than any other ruler on earth, that would be bad news for us. That would be horrible news for the people. But for Paul to say that the ultimate goal of the gospel is the glory of God. That the purpose of the gospel is to make God look as powerful and as mighty and as great as he is. That is not bad news for us at all. It is actually really, really good news. It's great news. Why? Because God draws attention to his glory by making his undeserving people strong. But what kind of strength is it that we're talking about here? Well, it's not any kind of strength that the world knows or the world gives. Let me address you women and young girls first. Ladies, when you think of becoming a strong woman, what comes to mind? I mean, getting this clear is important because God wants you to be strong. The thing is, the Bible and natural biology tells us that in one sense, you are the weaker vessel. 
I mean, 1 Peter 3, 7 says this very thing. And biology tells us that 95% of adult females are weaker than 95% of adult males. So what do you think of when you think of being a strong woman? The world will tell you that there are really three areas that you can display your strength in. One is by being sexy and seductive, by dressing in such a way that it draws attention to your body and acting in a way that drives guys wild. The world will tell you that your strength is shown and proven and how many likes you can get by posting the perfect selfie. Another way it will say to be strong is by being as assertive and aggressive and forceful as you can be. And it will say that the way to be strong is to be as smart and as cunning as you can in order to move up into positions of power and prestige. But none of those is the strength that Paul is talking about here. The strength Paul has in mind is the kind that Peter mentioned when he encouraged the women to be like Sarah. And he said in 1 Peter 3, 6, You have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. It's the kind of strength that talked about in Proverbs 31. Where in verse 25 it says, Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. In other words, women, young ladies, it's being so confident of God and who you are in Christ that you fear nothing. Not what others might think about you. Not whether you are pretty enough or popular enough. It's being able to trust him so much that you laugh at the times to come no matter what they may hold. Because you know that daddy looks after his little girl. Ladies, sexiness, I promise you, you'll lose it. And the man that you get with it is not the man that you want. Having an assertive and domineering attitude will alienate the kinds of people that you want to be around. Power and position will dry up and blow away just like the Texas grass in August. But the strength that God gives through the gospel, it lasts forever. Now to you men, both young and old, what about you? What do you think it means for you to be strong? To be the best athlete on the field? The most successful in business? Or someone who is so committed to hard work that you lose the very family that you think that you're providing for? Do you think strength is shown in the way that you intimidate others? Or maybe in the number of girls that are marked by the notches in your bedpost? What does power mean for a man in this world? It can mean a lot of things. I guarantee you there are some of you in here today that are running after every one of them. The kind of strength that Paul is talking about is not the kind that benches 300 pounds or makes people afraid of you or makes women swoon. I'll tell you what kind of power it is that God gives through the gospel. It's the strength and power 
to love your wife well and to lead your family in prayer and the ways of God. It's the power to provide for your family more than just material things. It's the power to speak a simple word of truth in a culture that is greatly lacking it. The power to take a stand and say no to sinful behavior when everybody else calls you weak. It's the power and the strength to use everything that God has given you to expand his kingdom rather than spending all your time trying to build your own. God is able to strengthen all of you, boys and girls, men and women with the kind of inner strength through faith in Jesus that makes you stronger in a wheelchair than 10,000 morally bankrupt fools in perfect health. We should desire the kind of strength that will be there when our bodies fail, when we are paralyzed, and the only way that we can communicate is by blinking our eyelids. And we know where that kind of strength comes from because he says it right here. Now to him who is able to strengthen you by my gospel, be glory forever. Next point. This strength is found specifically in the gospel. And then Paul goes on to define what he means when he says my gospel. He says that it is first and foremost the preaching of Jesus Christ. It is not a list of rules to live by. It's not 12 steps in managing your behavior. It is not good advice. It's good news. It's not an explanation of what all you've got to do for God. It is the declaration of what God has done for you. That is the preaching of Jesus Christ. And then he says that this declaration, this good news, it is a revelation of a mystery that was kept secret in the past but has now been revealed to us. What was the mystery that everyone was trying to figure out? It was how to fix, how to solve man's greatest problem, which was the problem of his sin that kept him separated from God. That's what everyone in one form or another is always trying to solve. How to please God. How to gain his favor and blessing. How to avoid his wrath and judgment. How to get back what was lost in the Garden of Eden. And you know what? God presented them with every rational possibility. Everything that we would think would make sense according to our finite minds and he did it all to show them that it was actually going to be something that wouldn't make any sense at all to us first he brought the flood well that makes perfect sense that's an easy fix just wipe out all the bad people and start over with the good ones I mean a giant do-over makes all the sense in the world but that didn't solve anything And then came Abraham, whom God promised would be the father of a great nation of people. And we think, well, that should do it. Well, that makes sense. If God could just focus on and put 
all his attention on just one race of people, make them his own and keep them separated from all the other heathen races and just speak directly to them, then that should solve it. I mean, there would at least be one race on earth that was made right with God. And all you had to do is just just hope that you would be born into that race or be included into it in some way, but that didn't do it either. And the secret to the mystery remained elusive. And then came Moses, whom God gave the Ten Commandments, along with many other rules and regulations. And now we're on to something. Because now we don't have to speculate as to what God wants. We've actually got it chiseled in stone, no less. How, how It couldn't be any clearer than that. And not only that, but the rules that we break, the ones we're not able to follow, we've even got it out for that. All we have to do is pay a penance and offer an animal as a sacrifice on the altar and we'll be right with God. How great is that? I mean, that makes perfect sense. If I could just do this, this, and this and check off these things and follow these rules that are clearly spelled out, then God is going to do something for me in return. But nope, that didn't do it either. As a matter of fact, it just seemed to exacerbate the problem even more. We talked earlier in Romans about how God used the law to essentially pour water on a grease fire. It just made it worse. And then we have David, and the people begin to have hope rising up again. He became the greatest king in Israel's history, a man that God even called a man after his own heart. Well, that's got to be the answer. We just need the right king to lead us. If he can establish the perfect kingdom that he can build and, and rule over that will be prosperous and victorious, then, then that might just solve the problem. But no. Once again, it was a failed attempt. And all these problems or all these solutions, possible solutions to the problems, that they would make sense. I mean, there's generally the way that we would think to, to solve problems like that, but none of them worked. But they were clues that God gave to the great mystery. It would be about a family that was saved from destruction, but it wasn't the family of Noah. It would be a nation of people that God would have for himself, but not just Israel. It would be about a higher law, a greater king, and a forever kingdom. And then, just at the right time, the secret to the mystery was revealed in the person of Jesus. And it was something so other than Nobody could accept it at first. And they just completely missed him. In fact, it is so outside of what we would think makes sense that it, it would take the Holy Spirit for us to be able to see it and to get it. The answer to the secret was that God himself would have to put on flesh and become a man. Actually become one of those descendants of Abraham that God promised. And he would live a life of perfect obedience to the law and become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Instead of us having to pay a penance and obey all these laws and be of the right bloodline, God would do all of that on our behalf. The secret to the great mystery was never about what all we had to do. It had always been about what God had to do in order to make us 
right. Why? To him be the glory forever. That's why. So that he would receive all the glory and there'd be absolutely none for us to be able to get for ourselves. And that is where our strength comes from, the last point. Trusting that God has done for me what I could never do, earn, or deserve. Believing that I am who he says that I am in him. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Not because I deserve it, but because he is good and glorious. I'm telling you, there are some of you here today, based on the conversations that I have with people and based on my own personal experience and my spiritual journey, there are probably many of you here today that have a really hard time receiving God's grace for you. You believe in his grace. Yeah, you're all for it and believe it for everybody else. But for you, it doesn't really make sense. You got it right here, but it's not making a connection here in your heart. Some of you have been just so rejected and beat down so much and experienced so disappointment and heartache in your life that you've pretty much resigned yourself to believe that this is just about as good as things are going to be for you in this world until you're called home. So the way that you have learned to live is just with the defensive mechanism that you've learned to survive with, which pretty much sabotages every relationship that you try to get involved in. And all this stuff you hear me saying about what God has for you in Christ can't be for you. You don't deserve that. You've never deserved anything good before. Why should you believe now that you can have that? Some of you know the things that you've done in the past, the person that you've been. Those sins and those mistakes are the cause of where you are in your life right now today. And you own up to it. You know what you've did, you, you've done, and it's where you are today. And so you're just going to have to lay in the bed that you've made. And so why should you get your hopes up for anything better? Well, the reason is because of Romans 6, 25 through 27. God doesn't want to strengthen you or all the things that are available to you in Christ because of you. Not because of you. He doesn't want to strengthen you in hope and grace and faith and joy in any circumstance because you deserve it. He doesn't strengthen anyone as a reward for being good or withhold giving anybody strength as a punishment for being bad. The truth is it has absolutely nothing to do with you. And if you have a hard time receiving his love and his grace and his mercy for you, then the best counsel that I can give you is simply get over yourself because it ain't about you. You see, there's two ways to be absolutely absorbed and self-centered with yourself. One way is being arrogant and thinking you are all that. 
and you don't need God. And the other way is by thinking you are so sorry and so low that you don't deserve God. Either one of those instances, you are consumed with yourself and self-centered. It doesn't just mean arrogance. God wants to strengthen you because it glorifies him. As a matter of fact, the more undeserving you are of it, the more glory he gets for strengthening you. He pours out his grace and his mercy on those who seem to deserve it the least because it glorifies him even more. And so my exhortation for you today is simply to receive his strength. Receive what he has provided for you. In Jesus, I'm not going to give you steps to take to improve your life. I don't need to give you this list of things that you can take home and put on the fridge and check off every now and then during the week in order to make yourself feel better as if you have achieved something. All I need to say to you is what God would say to you if he was standing right here in the flesh. And he is here by his spirit. And all he would say would be, just receive it. You don't have to do anything. I've done it all for you already. Just receive it. I paid a high price for you to have it. Not because of you, but because of me. Find out all you can about what Christ has done for you. Find out everything you can about what it means to be in him. What it means to be a son or a daughter of the king and be strengthened by that. Not because you deserve it. Not because you deserve to be blessed. But because he deserves to be glorified. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being here with us this morning and for speaking to us through your holy word. God, I know that there are some in here who, Lord, it's like they are hearing something again for the very first time. And Lord, I pray for those that God, believe in in all these good things. Believe in grace and forgiveness and mercy. They they know it's possible, but just have a hard time believing it for them. God, I pray that you would just remove any barrier that is causing that blockage right there, God. And you would just overwhelm them with your grace and love right now. Hmm. Lord, I pray for those who are trying to display their strength by everything that the world says makes you strong. Lord, that you would stop them in their tracks right now. And they would begin pursuing the strength, the only strength that matters. The only strength that's going to last into eternity. And so I pray for strong men and strong women in you. The kind of strength that gives you glory. Lord, I pray for those that have tried every way 
of solving the problem of their own sin, their own mistakes. Lord, that you are opening their eyes to the secret, to the mystery. It's all about you and what you have done. Lord, you give them the faith to fully trust in it. Holy Spirit, I know you're here, and I know that you desire to do a great work in our hearts. So we just submit ourselves and ask you to do that so that you can be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.